0: Okay, we turn now to God's Word. It's found in uh, the first letter of John. This is our third week in our series. Uh, We're working our way through verse by verse, and we're up to chapter 2. This morning we're going to look at the first six verses of 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, exactly 10 years ago, in July of 2010, uh, we were getting prepared to move from Seattle to New York City. And I had uh, heard or seen that one of the people that we would be working with there was vacationing in Seattle. And I thought, I really want to meet this person. I had sort of admired uh, them from afar. ...and was really, really impressed with the ministry that they were doing. Um, her name was Sherry Thomas, and she started a ministry to walk alongside and help out the wives of church planters. Uh, especially, it started in New York, but then it spread to, um, throughout the country... And it's a pretty unique calling to, you know, to be a church planter. And there's a lot of unique challenges that come with being uh, the wife of a church planter. And uh, balancing ministry, you know, startup church, probably family, marriage concerns, all those sorts of things. And when I met Sherry Thomas, uh, it was one of those meetups that, you know, you just never forget meeting this person. We sat down for a cup of coffee near the ferry terminal in Seattle. And while we were excited for that challenge of ministry, we were also scared and we had a lot of questions. And yet I felt like within a few minutes of talking to Sherry that we were going to be okay. That the questions that we had, that the concerns we had, they were very normal. And she made me feel like I would have someone there, you know, not only walking with me and mentoring me, but um, for, for Lily as well. And the the name of the ministry that they started was this Greek term called parakaleo, and that is a word that's used here in our verse, in verse 2. Um, it's, parakaleo means to come alongside someone. It's related to that term paraclete, you know, the the advocate, the one who defends us, the, the word that's often used in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit that walks alongside us, that comforts us when we are um, sad and broken, the one who challenges us, the one that walks alongside us. We, we are not alone in this world. We have an advocate. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And we are going to explore that this morning you know, through this text. We're going to look at the what... The why and the how. We're going to look at what, you know, what is this, what does it mean to be an advocate? What does it mean to, uh, to be, you know, this paraclete, to be this defender? Then we're going to look at why. You know, why do, we, why do we need an advocate? And then we're going to look at how. How does Jesus, the righteous one, how does he defend us? How does he advocate for us? So what, why, and how. So first of all, what is an advocate? And I'm just going to share this really briefly because I think we have sort of a picture of it already. But as I said before, the word is, uh, the word is paraclete, you know, related to parakaleo, And that's, uh, that's used often of the Holy Spirit. But here, John is using it of, of Jesus. You know, one that comes alongside you to defend you, to remind you who you are, to advocate for you. And it's really this picture of, you know, when we, are criti- when we are critical of ourself, when we are our own toughest critic, Jesus comes and reminds us who we are in him, that we have been made righteous, that, that he is advocating for us, you know, to, to ourselves. And he's defending us. Maybe you're, maybe you're like me. Maybe you grew up watching a lot of uh, lawyer shows. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of great uh, lawyer shows. The, the three that I kind of grew up watching and that I liked the most were Matlock, L.A. Law, and Law and Order. I mean, those were amazing. You know, people just love those TV shows because it's exciting. It's exciting to think about the courtroom and to hear the back and forth of, of the lawyers and everything. Um, you know, I, I watched Matlock a lot growing up, and it was a little bit unrealistic because, you know, I think in 193 episodes, I think he only lost the case three times. But, uh, you know, it's a, a little bit unrealistic that way, but it still makes for a great metaphor because, you know, Matlock, he was, he was this, uh, this def, you know, this defense attorney. He, he defended and he, you know, he always kind of figured out what was going on. And there was always this dramatic moment where he kind of cracked the case. And it's the same with Jesus. He's our advocate. He's the one that defends us. He's our paraclete. And why would we want to go through life on our own? You know, why would we want to go through life without someone advocating for us, without someone walking alongside us and defending us? So that's the picture of Jesus as that advocate. But why? You know, why do, need, why do we need an advocate? Well, it's pretty simple. It's a little more complicated to understand. But we need an advocate because we sin. I mean, look at, look at verse 1. John is saying this, you know, as a pastor, he's saying to his children in the faith, "My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin." And that's kind of interesting to think about because we know that as long as we're in the flesh, we will keep sinning. It was the I would say the only downside to splitting up the teaching as we did last week was, uh, was to split up this verse. I mean, obviously when the letter was first written and even when the Bible was first put together, the chapter numbers and the verses weren't in there. But look at verse 10 of chapter 1. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So what, what John is doing here is he's a little bit you know, echoing or saying something similar to what Paul says in Romans 6 when he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? John is just saying, you know, we don't do something that we know is wrong. We don't kind of have this, this, sometimes we use this logic. Well, oh, well, you know, it's no big deal. God can forgive that. And we do something that we know we're not supposed to do. And yet we're learning in 1 John, we're learning through this sermon series that in God there's no darkness at all. He's perfect. He's perfect light. And how can we have a relationship with him? Well, through through Jesus, through admitting that we do sin, that we do mess up, that we are broken, and that these things that we often look to in life, they don't satisfy us. They don't give us what we're truly looking for. Uh, Dr. Marshall, one of the commentators on this passage, he said, unconfessed sin is is incompatible with fellowship with God. John's aim was that his readers would both recognize their sin and confess it. So we're just honest about that. Uh, A lot of churches have moved away from having a time of confession and assurance uh, but we do that every week at this church. We do that every week in our reformed tradition because we believe in the gospel. We believe that we're broken people that need to confess our sins. It feels good. It feels good to be honest with God and to have that slate wiped clean and to remember, you know what? God's grace is big enough for anything that we've done. Jesus has already forgiven us and he's, he's made the way by what he's done on the cross and we're going to talk more about that this morning. But the good news is, you know we have this lawyer, we have this defendant, we have this um this one that defends us, this advocate who speaks on our behalf so we can be honest we We need that advocate because because we sin. but what uh, what's the definition of sin? I mean, I find for Uh, For many folks in our culture, or maybe you've been away from church for a long time, um, we don't talk about sin how we used to. There's misunderstandings about sin. We, uh, you know, things that used to be okay are not okay anymore. And things that used to be sort of scandalous are not anymore. And so it's kind of this rolling definition. Well, what is right and wrong? What is sin? Uh, This week in the, the Bible in one year reading there was a wonderful uh, statement from Pastor Nikki Gumble. his sort of, his definition of sin that I think is a biblical definition. And so I want to just summarize that for you really quick. He said that sin comes from not trusting in God's character, God's word, and God's actions. Not trusting in God's character, God's word, and God's actions. And I think... When we look at that, we see that there is a sin that's underneath the sin. You know, all these little sins that we commit, they're all a way for us to say to God, we don't really trust you. We don't really trust you. We can, we can take it from here, God. We've got this under control. We don't trust his character, his word, or his actions. I mean, his character, that's what Adam and Eve did too. God told them he was good. God told them all of this was for them. And yet they didn't trust, they didn't believe that God was as good as he said he was. And then God's word. You know, if we, if we discard things that we find hard or difficult in the Bible, again, we're just saying we don't trust in God. And yet so much of what we doubt or what we question is culturally conditioned. I mean, I don't have time to go too deep into this, but you know, every culture finds something in the Bible that, that affirms them and challenges them. And, and that should tell you something. That to me said, yes, the Bible is true. It's true in its purposes. And it's true for everyone under the sun. Right now, in our culture, we're focusing on justice and on making things equal and not judging people by the color of their skin. But where do you think that idea comes from? It's rooted in Genesis 1. God created everyone in his own image. And before the Bible, before uh, the, you know, the Christian gospel, there, nobody believed that. Nobody believed that everyone was created in God's image. That idea came from Christianity and it's been the overwhelming idea for 2,000 years and now we think that we can do justice without God? I mean, who's, who's justice? What we really want, what we really want deep in our hearts is this vision of the Bible that starts with God creating people in his own image and ends with all nations around the throne, worshiping God. We, we, sin is not trusting God's character, God's word, and God's actions. You know, when things happen that, we, that we're sad about, we don't get into the college we wanted to, um, we don't get the promotion we wanted, things are falling apart, we question God's actions, and, and we, instead of thinking you know, how could this happen to me? How could God have let this happen? We can move to this place of, of acceptance, of trust, of submission, saying, God must have something better for me. God's plan is always the best. So there's a call to trust him. That's what it means to, to, to move away from sin and to trust. We need an advocate because we don't trust. We need an advocate because we do sin. We mess up. We need an advocate to speak for us and to remind us of the truth. And finally, how? How does this advocate act? Well, you know, the advocate, he, he lives up to his own name. And John says it here. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He does nothing short of living up to his name Jesus, you know, Yeshua, Hebrew meaning God saves, and Christ, I mean that's not that's not his last name, it's a title. It's a messianic title that means, you know, the anointed one, the king. John says that Jesus Christ is is the righteous one, and he becomes our righteousness because he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never messed up. And so he's that perfect spotless lamb that can be sacrificed in our place to take our place. And that's what John says. He, you know, in verse two, the, the NIV Bible that I read from, it calls it an atoning sacrifice, that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice. Um, Another translation calls it the propitiation. Propitiation. And that's, that's, you know, what does that mean? That's not even a word that pastors use every day. But it carries with it this idea of a sacrifice, the replacement, the substitution, that Jesus atones for our sins and makes, makes it right. It means, that, it means that Jesus takes our place. And that's, that's really the ultimate advocacy, <laughs> Because, you know, it's like we're in a courtroom and, and we're guilty. God is per- perfect. God is completely holy and just. And we haven't lived up to that. But then Jesus becomes that bridge. And, you know, the message, the message says that he solved the sin problem for good. Not only ours, but the whole world. That's, that's the translation of verse 2. So Jesus, he defends us, he advocates for us, and then he pays the fine on our behalf. That atoning sacrifice. So he's not like the typical lawyer that you have to pay. He pays you, he pays the debt. And that's, that's the greatness of Jesus. Dying in my place, giving me his righteousness, So that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus, he sees his son. And then advocating, advocating on my behalf, taking my prayers and making them perfect, presenting them to the Father, reminding me by the Holy Spirit of the truth, so that when I feel lost, when I'm doubting, when I'm struggling, when I feel alone, when I feel like, you know, everyone's forgotten me, no one's noticing me, Jesus the Advocate, Jesus the Righteous One, He reminds me. We can, in those times, when we're struggling, when we're doubting, we, we can do what, what Martin, Martin Luther did. We can splash water on our face and say, I am a baptized child of God. We're reminding ourselves that we have Jesus, the righteous one, advocating for us. Reminding ourselves that we have died to sin and we've been born again to new life. That sin and evil and the devil, they have no hold on us. That we have an advocate. You know, if if you don't have an advocate, you know, why, what do you have? You're just walking alone through life, figuring out everything by yourself. That's not how God created us to live. Other other people, um, eventually they're, they're taken from us. Other pursuits run out. You know, the perfect job, the perfect family, um, having enough money, all those things are so fruitless. But having Jesus in your corner, having Jesus as your advocate, that's how we were created to live. He's the one that never leaves us, never forsakes us. So we we can take that weight off that weight of trying to figure everything out on our own. We can confess our sins, as as the word says. And we can put his love at the center of our life. We can walk as Jesus walked. We can walk in newness of life. We can walk because we know that we have Jesus Christ, the righteous one, beside us, advocating for us in our corner. You know, I... One of the only sports that I can't watch, that I really don't want to watch, well yesterday I remembered that I really don't like watching hot dog eating contests. I turned that on for a couple minutes and I'm like that that made me want to throw up seeing seeing these people cram hot dogs. But the other one that makes me want to throw up, sorry if you like it, but is MMA, mixed martial arts. I I have no interest in watching that. But a couple weeks ago I read about a story of, uh, you know, they've kind of started it up again, uh, no crowds, but you could hear the, the corner man talking to his fighter. You know, and the fighter, the fighter was done. He said, I don't want to go out there. I've taken enough hits. I, I, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. But his trainer, he said, no, man, you got to get out there. You, you're, you're a champ. You can do this. You can do this. Keep going. And eight or nine times the fighter said, no, I don't want to go out there anymore. And what was so grievous about it was that this trainer, you know, he he wouldn't give up. And uh, he should have known that that he could have gotten hurt and all those things. And finally, the referee did stop the fight. But it was so grievous. And, you know, it made me mad because that's not an advocate. That's the exact opposite of the picture that Jesus gives us. That Jesus is there. That he's encouraging us, but he's protecting us. He's showing us where, when to stop and when to go, what to turn from and what to turn toward. Jesus is in our corner, advocating for us believing, us, believing in us when we don't believe for ourselves, and advocating for us against the devil and to God the Father, saying, this is my child, they belong to me, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we can barely grasp all that you have done for us in Christ. You've won the victory. You've won the battle. You've given us a new life, and you invite us to join you in that. Jesus, thank you for advocating for us as we saw this morning in your word. We remember that. We want to sit in that this week. We want to walk in that teaching, that we're not alone, that we're not alone, and that you give us something that nothing else in this world, no other person, no amount of stuff can ever give us. You give us a comforter the paraclete, the advocate, the defender. May we walk in step with Jesus this week as we live that out. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.